Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing. I hope you and yours are staying safe and healthy and well and out of trouble and mischief because there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot going on. God, I was going to say that we are sort of returning to normal because, you know, after the the festive schedule, we get back into the the normal routine of football. But then I feel like normal is not a word which can be applied to very much at this moment in time, you know. But look, we will try as much as possible to keep things ticking along as they normally do here in terms of what we do on the website, what we do with the podcasts and everything else. So unless a crazy white supremacist comes bursting through my door dressed in some kind of weird goat suit, I reckon we'll be okay between now and the end of this show, at least. With me in a few moments' time, Amy Lawrence to talk about William Saliba, following Balagoon, Emile Smith-Rowe, and much more. A little bit later on, we will be looking ahead to the uh, Newcastle game in the FA Cup and what Mikel Arteta might do with his team given that he might just feel like rotating a little bit considering it's a cup tie and everything else and get some minutes into legs which haven't played a great deal in the last little while just point you in the direction of a couple of things over on the Patreon we have a brand new episode of a podcast called Statements in which my guest has to strongly agree agree disagree or strongly disagree to statements that I put to him the statements are cooked up thought up by our Patreon members. My guest on this episode is Elliot Smith. You know him as Yankee Gunner. He is the host of the Arsenal Vision podcast. And we will also, for Patreon members, have a brand new episode of our Tactics podcast. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will be recording that tomorrow afternoon, so that will be available to you. If you fancy signing up, you can do it at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. And if you don't, that's absolutely fine. The Arsecast and the Arsecast Extra and everything we do on the website will remain free and available to you as it always has. Before we get to Amy, a couple of little bits. Arsenal have this afternoon, Thursday afternoon, announced that they've taken a £120 million loan from the Bank of England under the uh, COVID corporate financing facility scheme. Uh, It's for short-term cash flow issues. Uh, It's got to be repaid by May 2021. And uh, I asked Tim Payton of the Arsenal Supporters Trust why, given the fact we're owned by billionaires, uh, Arsenal would take a loan from this particular scheme. And the, the answer is that basically the the rates are extremely favourable. The club have had to go through a fairly rigorous process to qualify for this loan. It cannot be used for transfers. So we can't just go out and spend that £120 million on, I don't know who, anyone. 
but it can be used for cash flow issues. So perhaps some players who are heading towards the end of their contracts, who we might be able to come to terms with uh, or strike a deal with, for example, uh, to say, look, here's money now. How about going somewhere else? That could be a way in which some of that money could be used. And there are, of course, a number of those players. Arsenal this week uh, spinning many plates in the outgoing transfer window. It looks like uh, Socrates could go. Said Kalasinac has already gone on loan to Schalke. There is talk whether it comes to pass or not of Mesut Ozil going uh, to Fenerbahce. So there are things beginning to happen. And I think when uh, when you're trying to create an environment on the training ground where everybody's pulling in the same direction, where everybody is on board, when you've got guys coming to the ends of their contracts who aren't playing, some of whom can't play because they've not been registered, I'm not sure it's the the healthiest environment in which to do your thing, in which to to try and create a, a strong, unified squad. So it would not surprise me if many efforts were being made to uh, to see a few players go in this transfer window. Whether we get any in remains to be seen, but when you've taken £120 million loan because of cash flow, and then you go out and spend money on a player, there the optics of that might not be particularly great, but we'll wait and see what happens there. The other thing, just to mention very quickly, um, to bring everybody crashing back down to earth, is just sort of concerns that I have, and I'm sure many of you have, about how COVID is beginning to well and truly prick the football bubble, if you like. And I don't know how it couldn't, to be honest. Football uh, and most football clubs and, and players and people involved in the game have done a lot and done their best to to work in a safe and healthy environment um, for themselves and for their families, of course, but also to help keep football going. But I'm reading this afternoon that Aston Villa's training ground is closed. They have players in self-isolation, players with COVID cases. Uh, their game against Liverpool in the FA Cup might not go ahead. Um, we've had 40-plus tests, positive tests in the Premier League when previously you know, it was in single figures. And with the prevalence of the, vir- uh, the virus in society, it seems almost inevitable that it is going to, to get inside football. And I just wonder if at some point there might be a little bit of a shutdown in order to get on top of things. But uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen, but it can only not happen as long as everyone is safe and as long as everybody is healthy. Uh, And I hope that's the case for you and yours, wherever you are. Please do your best to look after each other out there. We're in a kind of lockdown again here in Ireland. Uh, New restrictions in place because cases have gone through the roof. And I expect inside the next few days that those restrictions might be even tighter. I know that you guys in the UK are in lockdown again, and it's tough and it's difficult uh, and it's hard to deal with. And it it costs us in many different ways, but we can all do our bit to try and make sure that the spread of the virus is slowed and hopefully contained and eventually via medicine and behavior, we can really well and truly get rid of it once and for all. But I think that's still a way down the line. So look, we can all play our part. It's important. None of us have been through anything like this before. And let me just say one final thing, that I think it is entirely possible to be absolutely fucked off to the nth degree with the way your government or your officials have handled things. 
and what they've asked of you and what they've done and how they've behaved, yet still be responsible ourselves for you, for your friends, for your families, for your close ones, your relatives, the elderly, the vulnerable in our society. We have to remember them first and foremost. We don't have to forget what those government officials and politicians have done and said. We don't and won't. But let's think first and foremost about each other. Right. Let's get on with it. And as ever, I am delighted to welcome to the podcast, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy, and Happy New Year. Hey, Andrew. Happy New Year to you and all your lovely listeners. Hope everyone's keeping well and hanging on in there. Yeah, hanging on in there. That's the thing. That's what we got to do from a football perspective and uh, everything else. But let's let's stick to football for this particular conversation. I want to start... There's nothing else to talk about. No, I can't think of anything. World at all, so nothing yeah. happening as far as I can see. So Just going to check the okay. news. No. I was watching the news last night. Honestly, I was like, there's a you know, segment about, you know, something incredibly bonkers going on in the world. And you think, oh, and then something else comes on. And you're like, oh, it's like, it feels like being in, a, you know, a heavyweight ring, getting punches, just watching the news. Like you think you've had one punch and then another one comes in and slams you at another angle. It's like living in a world where somebody says, well, if that was a film script, you wouldn't believe it. And each each thing that happens is another film script that you wouldn't believe, um, which includes, I think, maybe Arsenal winning three games in a row, which is my segue to to football conversation. So almost smoothly done. <laughs> Let's talk about William Saliba because you wrote a, a piece on him in the Athletic today, Thursday, when we're talking. He's gone on loan to Nice. He actually played for Nice within a day of arriving there in a two uh, 0 defeat, which is a bit unfortunate. But playing time is is really important for him and uh, important for Arsenal as well because he is a player in whom we've made a very significant investment uh, from a financial point of view, you know, 28 million, 30 million pounds there or thereabouts. And we're going to have two years of uh, that investment not doing anything for us on the pitch, which is, you know, it does raise questions about the money you spend. If it comes to fruition in the future, then we'll look back and say, well, that was money well spent. The whole situation, though, has been one which has got Arsenal fans talking because, you know, he was somebody who people expected to come in and at least stake a claim for a place this season. It hasn't worked out like that. And there was obviously the 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 cock-up, I guess, in terms of not sending him out on loan um, again uh, in the last transfer window. So how do you view you know, his situation and the way the club have handled that part of it, you know, bearing in mind he is still a, a very young player, uh, 19 years old for a centre-half is is still young. I think we can have some sympathy with the idea that a player of that age is not quite ready for Premier League football. But but overall, you know, how, how do you feel it's been handled? Well, it kind of feels like a whole bunch of unusual things have uh, happened one on top of the other. Um, and even if you go back to the signing and there was quite rightly a lot of excitement and the thinking behind it, this idea, which I think is exactly how Arsenal probably should be thinking these days in general over transfers, which is, wow, it would be lovely to have 80 million to buy a, you know, the next Van Dyke. But uh, if you can't do that and get the ready-made one, then mm. see if you can um, predict who may turn into a future Van Dyke type player or whichever other part of the pitch that you, you, you want to mention and and see if you can um, speculate a little bit on the ones that you think are 
all the signs are there that they've got a great chance of turning into something special and mm. buy them when they're affordable rather than when they're out of reach and the likelihood is that they may well be going to a, a richer or a more financially powerful uh, or Champions League or title-winning um, prospect because right now Arsenal can't compete for the top players in that way. That's just a fact. Um, so it was the thinking behind it, I think, is laudable and absolutely bang on for what Arsenal should be doing. And they did their homework and they saw this kid coming through at the age of 17 and playing in the top league in France, playing well, and then in his second season playing even better. He is massive and that was one of the things about watching... Um, the Nice-Brest game yesterday on TV is that, you know, here's this kid who hasn't had much chances sort of coming mm. into a new team, making a debut. And he looked like the almost the physically as a specimen, the biggest guy on the pitch. Yeah. He is huge. Um, and, uh, but anyway, I, I just think that what was strange to start with was to buy him and loan him back straight away. Because in general, if you think about the Fabregas and Nelka, kind of generation Van Persie when you uh, even the Danielson Nicholas Bentner um, uh, generation for example I can't think of many examples of Arsenal identifying a young talent getting them but loaning them back straight away um, so there was something slightly uncommon anyway about this big uh, expensive high profile exciting signing who immediately was going back to his hometown club. Now, clearly that was part of what St Etienne required to have the deal in the first place. Mm. Good for them. And secondly, Arsenal, understandably, said, OK, we, we really love the look of this guy, but he hasn't played that much football. He probably won't walk into the team, um, what was then, what, 18 months ago or whatever. Uh, let's get him a load more experience and we're better than his hometown club where he's absolutely familiar. They, they will be playing him. They rate him. They'll look after him. He's happy there. Give him another year's development. Um, I suppose the first sign of things taking probably a difficult turn for the player was when he wanted to play in the cup final for Saint-Étienne. And I think he was extremely upset that that opportunity was denied him. And obviously COVID and all the complications meant that didn't happen within the normal framework of the season's loan but it was still a blow still um got over it and, and came over to london coney to to join up with the club and i suppose you can't imagine him coming thinking this isn't going to work it's going to be a struggle and they probably want to send me on loan again i don't suppose that was probably part of the deal originally or part of the picture so mm coming with the best will in the world and, you know, relatively quickly, it seemed like um, Arsenal and Mikel Arteta came to the conclusion they didn't feel that he was going to be ready. He did, in that season's loan at Saint-Étienne, miss a lot of football. Yeah. He had two stints out with injuries, a hamstring and a metatarsal that kept him out for a long period of time. And then there was the COVID interruption, which actually ended the league in France very prematurely. So he... he that loan period that they hoped would see a big surge in his development never really materialised. So, again, you can say, I understand that Arsenal think maybe that's the best thing for him, but it presumably would have been a bit disappointing to Saliba. Um, 
I mean, Arteta has been pretty consistent in, in what he said. So if you go back as far as July last year, he's talking about the big uh, step up it is to play as a centre-half in the Premier League. And I'm not saying he Absolutely. can't do I don't it. Get, I don't disagree with that. But yeah. I also think that you have to look at the bigger picture, which was that Arsenal had a ridiculously bloated uh, centre-half collective. Sure. That's another thing. If, if Saliba had come in when he did and Arsenal had managed to shift a couple of other players they might have wanted to um, lose at that point, the, you can see more opportunities. But, you know, they knew they had an issue with um, number of players in, in the team mm. uh, and in the squad. And maybe that was a part of the decision making as well, which is that it's, you know, they were hoping to get rid of X or Y. It wasn't happening we got a problem here. Our yeah. squad's too big. Well, maybe we can give a loan to Saliba because that would suit him anyway and it would suit us. Yeah. I mean, um, the COVID the COVID thing meant that Louise was signed up again because nobody quite knew what was happening and Mustafi couldn't find a new place for him. Socrates, you know, couldn't find a, a way out for him, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, maybe it would be different without COVID. Maybe he would have stayed with us and, and developed there. But but when Arteta talked about him today at his press conference, um, you know, he said he's a long-term player for us and we need to pr- protect him. Giving him three or four games is not enough, uh, even though I think, you know, the, the, the big mistake that we made was not uh, registering him for the Europa League uh, and obviously not sending him out on loan. H- having failed to do that, we should have tried mm-hmm. to integrate him further. But he sort of said what he's been, uh, what's happened in the, the last 18 months, um, he's been through personal problems, which people are aware of. We now have to help him. He needs to play and play and play and enjoy his profession as well. In order to do that, we found the right club for him. He's very happy to go there now and hopefully he can uh, enjoy his football, be ready for us next season. You know, it seems the player is looking at this as a way of going out and coming back to stake a claim at Arsenal. Arsenal, from what Arteta is saying, want him to come back. There's no question that they're going to sell him. There's no question they're going to extend his loan for another 12 months. So is is the is the frustration, I guess, on the player's behalf and on the, the behalf of fans, this sort of three, four-month period where he was in limbo playing Papa John's trophy football? Bingo. Hundred percent. I think if this loan had happened, um, you know, when it when it should have done, uh, and he'd have been playing regular football since then, the only thing that might have happened is some Arsenal fans might have uh, wondered if they might have been seeing him instead of oh, still watching Mustafi play yeah, games, sure. still watching this one play games, um, but. Yeah, I, I think to have, to have failed him uh, in that loan move and basically kind of essentially sort of banished him from the opportunity of development for three months or so, I think was a, a bit of a dereliction of duty on Arsenal's part. I mm. don't think they intended to do it by any means, but they did it. And it was a, a unlucky, extra unlucky, I think, on the part of the player that it's happened in a period where, look, he's a young boy trying to come to a new country and adapt. That in itself is pretty hard. Dealing with personal bereavement, which yeah. we can only imagine how impossible that must be. Um, and having a very, having a bit of a crisis in his career at the same time that he hadn't anticipated. Let's be honest, if part of the negotiations to sign Saliba back in summer of 2018 were like, we're going to sign you, we're going to loan you back to St Etienne, 
then you're going to come, but you won't play, and we'll loan you out somewhere else again. That's two sort yeah. of two years of football. Well, he wouldn't um, have signed that deal if that was well, the thing. That's wasn't not it, you know? that's not happening, is it? Yeah. So it, you can't pretend that this hasn't been a a bot shot job, yeah, because it really has. And I just hope that um, there's no damage done in terms of the relationship between the club and Saliba, and that that he has had enough support personally from them that he still um, and continues to have that support. By the way, while mm. he's with Nice that he can grow and uh, recover and end up fulfilling all the potential in the world. I, I mean, I, I'm rooting for him so much. Sure. And I, I think probably most people would be. I'd like to think so. Yeah. yeah I really, really, really hope this boy uh, comes out of this and has a lot of happiness on the football do, pitch. Do you have any sense about what, levels of support he might have had through this difficult period because I think you made a really good point in the article you know when Edu himself arrived in London he went through a pretty traumatic time his sister had been killed um he had those passport issues he had injuries I think one of his first appearances he scored an own goal you know everything that could have gone wrong pretty much did go wrong for him and he talked about the the way that Arsene Wenger looked after him uh, on a human level, on a personal level, rather than just a player uh, that he had signed and obviously needed and wanted for, for his team. So do you have any sense of, of what it's been like behind the scenes for for Saliba, you know, from the manager, from the technical staff, from the coaching staff and, and the teammates? You know, obviously there are some French speakers in there as well who who would be able to help him integrate. I'd like to think that, everybody would would uh, rally around him and help him as much as they can. I mean, you've got to put in, um, in addition to that, the fact that the club has been really struggling at times and with all the COVID situation and all the complexities, it's been a, a very troubling uh, couple months around the club. So I think when that happens, people are stressed out looking after themselves a bit. So we can only hope that everyone may, you know, did their bit to make sure that he was uh, feeling as okay as can be. Um, but uh, you know, let's be honest, it it, it can't have been. Um, it must have been one of those things where I, I think if he comes out the other side, he'll look back at it and think how how the experience would have made him stronger. For by all accounts, he's uh, a really mature young man, really decent. Uh, soul, uh, a good lad. Um, I think he speaks pretty decent English, which obviously would have helped him mm-hmm. while he's here. Um, so just being able to, you know, when you're having a bad time, something, you need something almost to distract you. Yeah. And to have not had that with his football being diminished to, you know, of course he went to training and trained and was looked after on, on that, on that front. But any player who's not playing, I think, will tell you that it's really difficult if you don't feel like you've got those real things to aim for in yeah. terms of com- competition. That's what makes people tick. And sort of training without competition, it, you know, that, yeah. that, that can become a good, bit of a grind. Sure. So definitely mm-hmm. felt like things were conspiring to not make life easy for him. But please, God, uh, he's finding that he can, you know, new year, new start, new place, ready to kind of put this period behind him and 
you know, the, the Nice uh, coach speaks glowingly of him, put him straight in the centre of his defence. He played a full 90 minutes. As he said, he'd only arrived very, very recently. The team is a mess. Um, I did see, I've no idea if this is going to happen, but uh, they were linked with um, Mamadou Sacco uh, to come in, who's an experienced uh, older player. They yeah. definitely need an older player around that defence to help them out. And that would probably be a real help for Saliba as well, to have someone alongside him that he can maybe learn a bit from and mm. connect with and maybe not have to shoulder too much burden for sorting out a defence that looks, well, we've seen a few, uh, yeah. a few shaky defences uh, of our own in recent times, <laughs> but I must say, watching me last night, it was like, ooh, uh, they, they, they really looked... Um, yeah. They look like they could use some help Probably. back there. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, look, so he'll get plenty of he'll get plenty of uh, experience because I think they're going to be under attack a fair bit. And uh, but I thought he played pretty well considering he'd not played for ten months. Mm. And he's definitely got some composure on the ball when he, you know, ha- has a bit of uh, uh, mo- moments where he needs to get himself out of trouble. He showed some excellent technique and there was a couple of really really good long passes. Uh, as well as the sort of short passes to to try and progress the ball, and he just needs like like Arteta says, games, 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 and play, hopefully that will be a, a, a real ch- change in uh, in pace for him. All right, well, all eyes on Nice for the rest of this season. We'll be keeping uh, close tabs on what William Saliba does because you know that there is uh, going to be space. You know, when this season ends, when Louise is gone, when Socrates is gone, when Mustafi is gone potentially Callum Chambers, you know, the squad is trimmer and slimmer and, and there are more opportunities uh, to, to integrate your centre-halves into the game. So, look, we'll keep an eye on that. Another young player that's uh, making headlines today, Amy, is a follower in Balagoon, who Miguel Arteta talked about in his press conference. Um, he, he talked about having to have three people willing to make a deal. Uh, he said, the club wants to make a deal, the manager wants to make a deal, the player wants to stay. I'm not sure about the agent he said. Um, and then he said, look, I'm not saying he's stopping it, but we have to find an agreement with him. Uh, he said, hopefully from the other side, they're doing the same uh, to try and look after the player's interests. And those interests, of course, are to stay at Arsenal and and be successful with us. Now, he's a, he's a young striker. What we've seen of him is very little. Uh, when he's come on in the Europa League, he's uh, scored a couple of goals, I think, and he's, you know, he's looked ready, I think, for more football than he's had this season. But there is this weird balancing act, isn't there? It's difficult for clubs. People will say, look, show him that you really want to keep him by giving him minutes. But if a player is, or the agent is prevaricating over a new deal, you know, does playing him send the wrong message to other members of your academy, for example, that if you kick up, you might get some playing time, whether you're going to sign or not. Does it put that player in the shop window? Like, so people or clubs who may not have been quite as aware of him now sit up and, you know, it gives the player more options uh, for potential uh, destinations as and when his contract runs out. His contract, of course, runs out in the summer. Uh, It is a tricky one, isn't it, for for clubs to deal with situations like this. And, of course, Balagoon has got the same agent as, as Saka, the same agent as Nelson, the same agent, of course, as Eddie Nketiah, whose own contract uh, will be heading into the final 12 months uh, after we go through this summer. So there are all these layers of complication around this particular player and, and this situation. Yeah, who'd be trying to unpick that, eh? 
Mm, yeah, <laughs> rather someone else than me, to be fair. Um, yeah, I think Mikel Arteta said, you know, intelligent things there, um, and quite quite candid of him to to make it apparent where he feels the the stumbling block might be. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> these things, if you think of uh, even. Uh, Saka, that went quite late with his new contract. And I think we, Did, we were yeah. all sweating badly. I know I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you imagine when you look at him now? Can you imagine no. what might have been mm-hmm. in the sliding doors moment? Had he not signed that new contract? And had he been tempted to go to a, a you know club that would have promised him different kinds of rewards and perhaps a different level of uh, football to be playing and more successful team? Um I still feel like that signing of Saka was one of the highlights of of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> of millions, but, you know, that was so, uh, such a shot in the arm, really, for the whole club. But Saka had played a lot more generally by the time of his contract ex- extension than, uh, than Balogun. Balogun has... I wonder whether it's because of the number of young players that are... Um, no, you, you know, the ones that are trying to get the most game time at the moment. It's not, you know, the whole Hale End FC thing. There is a, a group, Joe Willock is there, Ainsley and Eddie and Katia, and whether almost the, the sheer number of them makes it more difficult for the manager to bring in another one and find game time for another one. Just in terms uh, of that youth experience balance in the squad. Uh, yeah, I mean, but but I think... Any of us that are old enough to have watched um, that period where Arsene Wenger promoted young players and he didn't care how old they were, if, mm. you know, if they were good enough. And obviously, Anelka and Fabregas are the ones that spring most readily to mind. But you know, they were both 17 and they were completely ready. And they were brilliant from the get-go. Uh, and they weren't faced by any jump up in um, levels. I don't know if Balogun is uh, in that uh, Saka's done something similar. Let's be honest, you know, uh, from, from you know he wasn't nineteen, nearly twenty when he was coming in. He was seventeen, eighteen. He was yeah. in, on a younger phase. Um, uh, but Balogun had, did have a very, very successful uh, development right the way through all the age groups at Arsenal, and he's a different kind of centre forward to. Eddie and Katia, and that's the bit that's the most interesting part of the conversation for me. And uh, Eddie and Katia did get a, a, a fair amount of game time when he came back from Leeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Balogun has been very restricted, it feels, in terms of opportunities. And it does take a brave manager to say, you're going to be one of the guys on the bench. And actually, if we're 4-0 up, away at West Brom, maybe I'll give you 15 minutes. Hmm. But if Saka hadn't have had that game time that he had, would he have signed his new deal? I don't know. Maybe, but hmm. it, it's all hypothetical. It's tricky though, isn't it? When, you know, particularly for a, for a striker who, you know, there's been a lot of um, demand to see Aubameyang play at centre-forward because we went through this period where we couldn't score goals. So where is the solution? Okay, well, let's move Aubameyang there. And, um, you know, Eddie has had some minutes and Lacazette has had some minutes there. It, it is 
um, I think it is reasonable to see how it's been difficult for Arteta to give him uh, minutes in, in the Premier League. I do wonder if, in, in Europa League terms, it was an opportunity to give him some more playing time because when he's oh. come on, he's he's done pretty well. Um, and And, you know, we could talk about maybe allowing a contractual situation to get to this point again, like how much behind the scenes have Arsenal been trying to get this done? How much resistance has there been from the agent? You know, he's now in a really great position, isn't he? Because he can he can listen to what Mikel Arteta said in his press conference about how they want to sign him and how they've got to do a deal and how he is uh, willing. He said, that he was asked, is there a pathway for Balagoon? He said, yes, there is. You know, he's making all the right noises about what he wants to do, but Given that there's less than six months left, given that Balagoon could go to a foreign club and, and Arsenal would receive very little in terms of uh, compensation because of the contractual situation, like all the eggs uh, pretty much are in the, the, the basket of, of the agent, who, in fairness, we have done deals with. We've done deals for Nelson. We've done deals for Saka and so on. Um, you know, it it just... The circumstances of it are heavily weighted towards the player and his side of things, and you do wonder if perhaps um, we might have been more efficient uh, in dealing with the contract of a young player um, before it got to this point. And that's not to put it on. I mean, I think that you're looking at, uh, you know, when when kids are sort of 17, 18 and and are playing junior football still, or or maybe under 23s, um, it, 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 it. it's also quite a leap of faith for the club sometimes to give a, you know, a big proper deal at that time when, you know, they can't always make those judgments and there's a, they're juggling so many, so many balls in the air of all the different needs of all the different players and all the different contracts. And we've seen exactly how that can get missed with Mm. the case of Saliba. Um, you know, you're trying to bring in Thomas Partey and whatever other th- you're trying to shift out a couple more, you know, Socrates, Mustafi, whoever, um, Kalasinac, as they were last summer. There was all this stuff going on and something gets missed. I don't think it's the easy. There's been a lot of flux in the sort of contracts, um, technical director, you know, head of football scenario, <laughs> as yeah. you know. So, it's probably not the easiest. I cut them a bit of slack maybe for, you know, not addressing Balogun's contract. And I think they did try to maybe a year ago, but it wasn't some something where they got anywhere. So it was put on the, put on ice. The club can only do what the club can do. They can offer what they can offer. Um, but bear in mind that Balogun and his uh, uh, people who look after him are going to be, being flattered from elsewhere at exactly the same time. Mm. The grass is greener, and if there are some substantial European clubs uh, kicking around, making enticing uh, noises, it's probably quite difficult not to get flattered and not to have your head turned and not to imagine what if and maybe go to that club. And Arsenal have lost uh, players to Barcelona and... Uh, you know, straight from their youth team who have barely figured in the, uh, you know, Arsenal first team at all. Um, Marcus McGuane, for example, not that long ago. And, you know, it doesn't always work out. Yeah, um, I mean, there have been some... But you can see why a young player might think, wow, you know, I'm going to go and play for this amazing club and I'm going to get this deal and it's going to be amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, there have been some hits and misses, haven't there? You know, when you think about some of the young players... I don't got- any of them having to make these calls. It's really hard. If you've ever been in a situation where, I know, you do a job and you're at a place you've been near, you know everyone, and then, oh, maybe there's the opportunity to do something else. Do you go? Do you stay? You don't know what you're going into. You don't know what you're leaving behind. It's These are not easy decisions. Um, these are particularly not easy decisions if you're a kid, and which is why you lean on the advice of your family or your agent and... Who knows? Yeah, I, look, it is, it is one of those things that um, you know can come back to bite you in in the backside. You know, I remember when Chris Willock left, for example, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, Chris Willock is leaving, and he's gone to Benfica, uh, and I don't know where he is now." Um, and I'm sorry, Chris Willock, but you know, it didn't quite go the way people might have thought. And then you look at other players who. Uh, you know, have left from our youth system, uh, Benacer, uh, Malin, the Jeff, you know, who didn't maybe get quite as many chances as you, as you would like. And they've gone on, if not necessarily to become massive stars, but certainly assets that are worth an awful lot more than they were when they left us. So it is hard so, to find that balance, isn't it? The Jeff, by the way, is playing at Nice and played last night with uh, William Saliba. Well, there you go. There you he go. He's on loan from Lyon. Uh, and uh, Chris Willock is at QPR currently. Right. Uh, on loan, I believe. Um, so there you go. That's uh, that's the way his career has uh, has turned. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, he's so deeply unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's other things as well. You know, the 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 grounding or the experience that you get from a from a move abroad and, and what it teaches you as a person, et cetera, et cetera, could be really beneficial to him, even if it didn't work out uh, at Benfica. But I want to move on and talk about a player, a young player who has come through in the last couple of weeks and really caught everybody's eye. I think we all know uh, about the talent and the potential of Emile Smith-Rowe, but to come in and do what he did against Chelsea and to come in and do what he did in, in the game subsequent to that, were you surprised at the impact he's had given not to do with his talent, but to do with his, his injury record and the fact he hasn't played a huge amount this season to come in and just sort of hit the ground running at that uh, level is really quite impressive. I was just fab. Uh, (laughs) I I thought it was um, joyous really to watch uh, the way that Emile Smith-Rowe came in and, and seized that opportunity and I think those who know him, what I think almost makes it lovelier is he was always, he's quite a shy lad. He's quite quiet and unassuming. He's just not one of those guys who is necessarily ticks the boxes of sort of slightly kind of macho football environment yeah. stuff. Um, and to, to be the guy who comes in as the hub of the team, almost, as he's been. And I, I've, it's always uh, felt quite frustrating and almost cruel on Emil Smith-Rowe that the bits and pieces of chances he's had um, always seem to hit the skids with injuries. And after a while, you start to have those questions, don't you, whether somebody is, uh, you know, is a kind of sick note. Um, so the big, biggest thing for Emil Smith-Rowe right now would be that if he can get to the end of this season... And a bit like Saliba, play and play and play. That would be such a huge turning point in his development and mm. evolution. 
And he's always had qualities and the way he sees the game quickly and the way he plays the game quickly. Um, doing things at speed, whether it's speed of thought or speed of foot, is probably the the thing that separates footballers in their levels. Uh, I think Arsene Wenger was talking about this the other day I think that, in that fantastic uh, 11 Freund interview. Oh, that was really good. Was brilliant. And yeah. I recommend anyone to give that a read, even if you've read plenty of similar pieces. I will put a, months. I'll put a link in the, the show notes for, for that one. Uh, so cool. people can click on but that. I think that when he talks about the way that football has changed and become more sort of athletic and physical, it's the next development that you need is, can you make quicker decisions? Because that's what's going to change the game. Because if everybody's athletic and, you, you know, can compete in a certain way like that, if you can do something clever quick, more quickly than the people around you, yeah, that's how you beat them. And it's a, t- a tiny, weeny sample size because we're looking at three games of uh, Emile Smith-Rowe where he's come in and made the kind of impact that everyone was hoping he would make perhaps previously um but that's what he's shown is making a difference is that uh, is that imagination and the ability to read what's going on around him fast you're almost predicting where the ball's going or where the runner is yeah. around um so yeah like i said my wish for him is just play 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 and hope he avoids um and any more setbacks. And the fact he doesn't appear to wear shin pads gives me a bit of a worry there. <laughs> I don't think that was allowed. I mean, or does he just wear the teeny tiny ones? He might have to wear the, I, I presume you have to wear them, you know, um, but he's, he's doing the, the Jack Grealish low socks thing, which, you know, I have to say I'm a, a big fan of. It always reminds me of the end of the 1979 FA Cup final when Liam Brady has had his socks rolled all the way down uh, before he created that winning goal for, for Alan Sunderland. So it's quite, you know, evocative in my mind when I see a player like that. But how how do Arsenal find the balance here with Smith-Rowe? This is the topic of this conversation is is balance um you know he's come in he's done really well he's added something to the team that we've been missing whether it's by accident or design illness injury suspension whatever it was that forced Mikel Arteta to turn to Emil Smith-Rowe in his hour of need um Smith-Rowe answered the call and has you know has turned things helped turn things around I should say and you look at it and you say well here's a here's a young guy who's come in he's hungry he's enthusiastic he's really good he's taken his chance and he deserves a place in the team. At the same time, you can't just play him in every game between now and the end of the season. You just can't do that, I don't think. It's not right. It wouldn't be healthy for him. It puts too much of a burden on him physically and probably at some point down the line, you know, um, mentally knowing that, you know, there's a lot of the creative onus is, is on you as a, a 20-year-old player. It's got to put some strain on you. And we do have worries about his physical uh, capabilities after the injuries anyway. So when you look at what he's done and how he's come in and you look at the January transfer window being open are you looking externally for somebody who could play where he plays or do you look at your squad and you say well Smith Rowe is doing fantastic there but we do have let's say 
the ability perhaps to play Bakayo Saka in the same position and you can bring in Nicolas Pepe or play somebody else uh, apart from Willian of course on the right hand side you know how do you how do you strike that balance between allowing Smith Rowe playing time to develop and not burning him out I don't think he'll get burned out I just think it's a question of whether he can physically handle it I don't worry about um him not managing mentally or or anything like that. I just mean like if uh, physically, if his you know if he gets the aches and strains and picks up a, a hamstring I just, I, or I more, think, I more think we've got to be a bit wary of saying he's the definitive answer after three matches. No, because I don't think he is, but we can all see the impact. Flat uh, West Brom team that are awful, um, and a Brighton team who you know. It, it wasn't an amazing. They're not outstanding either. Mm. So, um, I, I more think that it's about giving him the breathing space to. I agree with you. You've got to, the balance between allowing them to uh, make progress and evolve naturally. Um, again, I keep going back to Anelka and, and Fabregas, yeah. but they came into the team and did their evolving with world class players around them. Mm. Uh, if you say to Emil Smith Rowe now, and again, this is what's so incredible about Saka is he's come into this troubled team and just taken so much responsibility and felt able to be a leader by the way he plays football, mm. game after game after game. Um, uh, whether Emil's got the same personality to manage that, I don't know. And some guidance probably is really helpful for him with people around him that he can really depend on. But you think about Anelka coming in and playing next to Bergkamp. You think about Fabregas coming in and playing next to Vieira or, mm. or Gilberto. Uh, and even who was behind them and in front of them, the options that they had around them were absolutely phenomenal. And everyone suddenly after three games wants Emil Smith-Rowe to be the man that is the hub of Arsenal. It's a it's a big thing. So what worries me is that there isn't really that many natural alternatives right now. The situation with Ozil is well known and it's very uh, unlikely that he's suddenly going to come in and be Smith Rowe's first reserve, however bizarre that might be. Um, and Saka, you're right, is probably the most natural alternative fit. But all the other things that have been tried haven't really worked. You know, and you think of mm. Lacazette being played there for a bit and Willock and uh, Willian sort of a tiny bit, but not really very much, even though that was proposed as a possibility um, when he signed. So are they going to sign someone? Uh, if you sign someone, are you signing someone to compete with him or to be kind of a backup to him or to be someone who maybe plays ahead of him? It's really complex. Um and it's one of those judgment calls for Mikel, which is why he gets paid the big bucks because I wouldn't want to make it. I don't know how you sometimes juggle those things, particularly when the squad is so bloated. You yeah. still need to get rid of bodies because you still have to have that feeling that you can be involved. And uh, Arsene, going back to that 11 Freunder interview, talked about his ideal squad size being sort of around 23 to 25 players because everybody needs to feel the possibility of competition. If you're a footballer and you're, even if you're 
probably not the one that's going to play. You know that you might if there's a mm. couple of injuries or suspensions. Look at Pablo Mari, for example. You know, it's easy to imagine a situation where he really didn't get any chances, but suddenly he has, and he needed to have or needs to have that sense that I might be playing, even if Gabriel or David Luiz comes in pretty quickly and he's uh, demoted again and, and, and playing less often, to know I'm... I might be called upon at any moment. Mm. It's really vital for those fringe players. So getting the squad balance right, it's so it's been so wrong for the as exemplified by the fact that three players managed to not be registered uh this season. Yeah. Exemplifies that perfectly. Yeah, I mean so, in fact we'd eight centre halves or whatever. Everything they can to redress that balance this window. And with luck, there'll be a much healthier, slightly more slimline environment for this second half of the season where everyone can feel much more part of something. Mm. That I mean, do you, do you think it's more important to trim the squad this month than actually sign someone? Yeah, I think I do. Mm. I think... I'd rather have a um, a unit where everyone was backing each other. Everybody was singing from the same song sheet, so to speak. Yeah. You losing if, the more of the let's just say um, older players who had come to the end of their contracts, who are sort of kicking around and not really part of the future. So, sort of, they're going to be a bit more. Um, Going through the motions kind of thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You got me out of a hole. It's okay. <laughs> I think I was thinking of something worse. Um, <laughs> the potential for being a bit more moody, uh, yeah. just, even if you're going through the motions, and that can affect the atmosphere. The more that we can get the balance leaning towards the young, hungry players who are desperate to prove what they can do, who have the positive mentality, who are listening more, I guess, to what the manager wants, and giving everything to try and put things uh, right on the pitch, it, that's got to help. Getting more of a feeling of everything, everybody being in it together. And I don't think it's been very easy to do that, let's just say, in these last few months. All right. Well, look, we'll wait and see what January brings in terms of uh, outgoings, certainly. You know, I think... There are plates spinning, I think it would be fair to say. The fact that Mesut Ozil's agent has, for the first time, even uh, acknowledged the possibility of him leaving uh, before his contract is up is is uh, is progression. Is that the right word? Is that progress? I don't quite know. But like, it's a situation, obviously, that, that Arsenal have to resolve, Socrates and, and a few of the others who might make way. And if there's somebody coming in to give us a bit of a boost as well, you wouldn't turn it down as long as it's the right player and not another kind of deal which leaves us... Um, hamstrung a bit as some of the more recent deals have you know mm. Mm. okay the less said the better fair enough uh, <laughs> we better leave it there amy as ever thank you very much cheers andrew thank you very much as always to amy you can find her on twitter at amy lawrence 71 that's at amy lawrence 71 and of course you can find her writing in the athletic Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So after three successive wins in the Premier League table, catapulted us up a massive four places in the table we now have FA Cup action this weekend Newcastle United visit the Emirates uh, on Saturday evening kickoff at 5.30 and team news is that Gabriel is back so that's good uh, Thomas Partey is also back in full training and that of course is very good I do wonder what exactly Mikel Arteta will be thinking about this he must be a little bit nervous but at his press conference this afternoon when he was talking about him he said we've got a couple of extra training sessions before the game we'll assess whether he's fully ready he said he's not aware of the injury right now and he's done more than he already did before he played against Spurs you know in the game in which he aggravated the injury again so you've got to be looking at this one I think as a way of easing him back into action even if it's not from the start giving him half an hour at the end or just earmarking 60 minutes it's in this game because you know Partey uh, should be and will be as long as he stays fit a really important part of this team for the rest of the season and you know I think can't just put his absence or the results that we had down to his absence but you do wonder if some of the results that we had during his absence would have been quite as uh, bad if he had been uh, in the squad and in the team Um, but the fixtures are stacking up a little bit because we play Newcastle on Saturday then we've got a Thursday night game against Crystal Palace in the Premier League then there's Newcastle again in the Premier League also at home on Monday night the following Monday night so you know there's time to get Partey back up to speed for what then looks like a really I was going to say interesting but tricky is probably the best word I could use in the sense that you've got Southampton away, Man United at home, Wolves away, Aston Villa away, Leeds at home, and then there's Benfica away. Uh, and in between the two Benfica games in the Europa League, there's Man City at home. So there's a lot going on in the early part of this year. And the fixtures that we have are going to be very testing. So we've got to keep building on what we have. If we can get party back and get him really integrated into the team, then you've got to be a bit more confident about our chances. Other faces that might come in at the weekend, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see. Let's see. Eddie Nketiah get a start, perhaps Nicolas Pepe, David Luiz could come in, and it's not necessarily about, you know, 
David Luiz doing more than Rob Holding has, but just keeping players match sharp because, as I said, there's there's a lot of football to come and we're going to need everybody on their toes for those games. Uh, some of the younger players could come in also. But when you look at what Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe have done in the Premier League team, do you risk them in the FA Cup? I don't know. I don't think I do. I think I give the, the games to other players to see if they can uh, respond to the competition that those guys have provided because what they've done of late means they should be starting our next Premier League game. So there you go. Anyway, Cup football at the weekend. Arsenal versus Newcastle. We begin our defence of the FA Cup. Let's see what happens there. James and I will be here on Monday, of course, with an Arscast Extra. So until then, let's hope we have a good weekend on and off the pitch and we will talk to you on the next one. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. You join me here in one of the most inhospitable places on the face of the planet. There are no trees, no fauna, few signs of life. The temperature here routinely reaches 7 billion below zero. And yet, one remarkable creature thrives in this environment. There, on a hillside in the distance, we can see an entire pack of Kieran Tierney's. No matter how strong the wind or how cold the day, they forage outside for what little food there is with only their incredibly thick hide to protect them. And look, oh, it's incredible. They seem to have caught a colossal prehistoric walrus and they're feasting on him as we speak. He's trying to tell them he can out-tactic them. But the Kieran Tierneys pay no attention. They will just devour him until there is nothing left. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 